The subject for the evening talk is uh, neither up nor down. I had commented a few days ago that the um, media at the present time seems to be drawing um, two lines of distinction and in the world in which you and I perhaps have some interest and exploration. And the way that the two lines of distinction be, are being drawn is that there is the uh, Judeo-Christian tradition on one side and on the other of this parallel line there's the, uh, what is referred to as the, the New Age movement which presumably uh, embraces everything which is not of that tradition. And <laughs> this determination and desire to have things in lumps, which is a characteristic of the press, it's a lumpy lot altogether, um, shows itself in this. And then sometimes when we reflect on these differences which are systematically created, the labels and the descriptions fitted and given some firmness too, made concrete in the public eyes, then sometimes we've noticed perhaps in ourselves some reflection on some of the ways that the differences are being perceived. And I think one of the features and characteristics of those differences is that, that we have been told, those of us who were brought up in uh, the uh, Christian, Judeo-Christian culture, that human beings were initially formed, created uh, by God, then there was the um, uh, original sin, and this original sin has been carried by humanity for the last X number of years. And somewhere in the thread of that, one might say that is a, uh, a line which is posited and put out in, in many, many ways, and certainly this is how I recall it. And, and this one might describe this view as a uh, down-from-Eden mentality, and that it's only through uh, divine intervention uh, which will break that movement in time of individuals, of human beings, from original sin to a life of the divine. And this view has carried itself for generations through from generations. And sometimes there is a questioning of that view, of that uh, difference, and then another view is then posited. And rather than the down from Eden mentality, it is the up from Eden. Eden mentality. And this view is a very common view, and the way that this view expresses itself is in the language of cultivation and development and progress. And a key concept in this particular view is the school of evolution. School of evolution. And I think it's very, very um, important for us to be able to recognize in religion and in philosophy, even if you and I do not have much appetite for it, 
that nevertheless the views of the philosophers, the scientists, the religious views, and particularly some individuals, key individuals within that, have expressed views and in the space of a generation or two have had very potent and significant um, influences on the value structure of human beings. And that, when, that sometimes we think like the philosophers, that they are just um, out there in the nether realms, caught up in thought and unrelated to circumstances. Really, it is not really the case. And I feel that there are these schools of thought, schools of uh, uh, thinking, which have a strong influence and feed into the psyche of human beings. And the Eptromedon mentality which arises is that things through evolution, through work, through diversity, can get better. And it's a strong cultural phenomena. And those of us who live in uh, uh, Europe regularly, frequently remark on how strong this view is in the culture of the United States. It's a, a kind of error that sometimes occurs, which sounds like, in on listening, that of things will get better, and the positivity tone, the in intrusion in a way of thought and the feeling of a positivity tone from now to the future. And I think this must be interrupted utterly broken, this way of regarding things. In recent days, while we have been sitting here downstairs in the dining room, we have um, <laughs> seen the uh, San Francisco uh, Chronicle from, day, from time to time, sometimes from day to day, and the, the two major events uh, of the world seem to be, from the front pages of the San Francisco Chronicle, uh, the events in Russia, and there would appear a considerable degree of confusion and turmoil and all that taking place as the old structure is collapsing um, very, very rapidly, and all that the difficulty that might be leaving, and the other major event in the world seems to be that Joe Montana can't play his game for the next three or four matches. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't quite worked out which globally which is the more significant, <laughs> but anyway, um, it would appear that um, Gorbachev and Montana are vying for space on the front <laughs> page. And this situation, and I think it's very, very important, very, very important and critical situation, and, I, and how we can look at an outer situation, we can be conditioned, remember, conditioned into thinking in exclusively, narrowly, in critical terms, and many of us certainly have been for many years concerned about the, the apparent degree of fear and rigidity and state control over people's lives in Eastern Europe, we can see and perhaps welcome the collapse 
of control and fear that has been a nightmare for generations in people's lives there. And in this witnessing of that and seeing that, that what is occurring in our own society, we then begin to think and feel our system is better. It's not just looking at another system and having doubts about its structure, its beliefs and its ideology and all that embraces it, but when we look, then comes the affirmation with it of so-called Western demo democracy, which is a myth of itself since only 30% elect the present government in this country. It is part of the myth of majority rule. So, some, so then we look, we look, we judge negatively, could be anybody or anything, we make a difference, and then we compare positively ourselves. When we do this repeatedly, we build up a false self-image. We have an external image which we judge and condemn, and we look at ourselves through that, and we think we are better off. That becomes consolidated through interaction, through thought, through, through image. And, and we, in a way, we're saying our conditioning is better than their conditioning. <laughs> we ignore, in that image which we have cultivated, we ignore, in that image, the incredible difficulties and suffering within our own society. We look at any area of society, health and education and crime on the, the streets and ambitiousness and the ruthless destruction of land, water and air, the alienation, the depression, the alcohol, the drugs, the whole spectrum of suffering that goes on in our society. <coughs> and because we condemn another, we fail in the self-image to look at our own and our own part of it. And we think we have evolved further. We are better off. And this view gives us the idea that our structure, our form, our Western democracy, and all that goes with it, that this will last. That this is what will stay. That this is what will impress the rest of humanity. We think this will hang in through the human species. It's part of evolution. If that takes place outside in our relationship, what about the way we look at ourselves? Do we honestly think that we are really better off? What gives us this idea? What gives us this idea that we will be even better off as time goes by? Where does, this, where does this emerge from? When we look at differences, to take it into our own, our own life, 
and it's been was mentioned in the afternoon period in the inquiry. If you pick up a magazine, if you pick up a book, if you pick up a newspaper, if you go into a shop or into a supermarket, one of the things which strikes one very noticeably is the range of differences. If you want to buy a shirt, if you want to buy a blouse, and you look at what's available, you can witness 10, 15, 20 different colours. The different colours are said to fit the different needs. I like this colour, I don't want that colour. And the refinement and subtlety of the variation of colours is supposed because that's what we want. That makes one feel better to have a slight change of colour. This viewing of this is a way that keeps impressing upon us and what it does insidiously is to generate a world which keeps reinforcing the idea of differences. We look to Russia and we look to ourselves and we make differences. We look to a, a blouse or a shirt and we look to ourselves and we make differences. And the differences become concrete. They become something of themselves. And with that, in our own life, there's all the forces of the conditioning appear to make such an influence we don't know what to do. Do I buy this shirt? Do I buy this car? Do I go for this job? Do I live in this place? Do I go here? Do I go there? And each time we're perceiving with confusion, perceiving with doubt, perceiving with uncertainty, we are a prisoner of the conditioning. We have brought in to the wretched system. We have brought in to what touches the eyeballs, what touches the ears, and somehow think that between one and something else there is a world of difference. It then also goes to our past. We look at the past and we say to ourselves, here I am in the present, these things happened to me in the past and I am now conditioned in this way. This, 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 this took place. Sometimes a person opens up the door, the possibility of past lives, which is really to open Pandora box there. And this, 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 oh, oh no, this, 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 and one feels to be the prisoner of conditioning. The view that I am conditioned seems to be very obvious, so obvious one couldn't imagine that it couldn't possibly be like that at all. One couldn't possibly imagine that the down from Eden mentality or the up from Eden mentality, depending whether you feel on a high note in your life or on a low note in your life, that there is no truth in it. 
and couldn't possibly imagine. It's got to be true. I am the effect of my conditioning. And then we talk, we do all sorts of things which in a way reinforces this way of relating to life that it becomes the truth so strongly that, that with it, without any realization we can't even imagine that it's not true. You understand? We can't even imagine that isn't the truth. We're so fixed with our evolution, devolution, and any other solution, solution. We're so fixed with this. We think, gosh, I've got so much to work out. I've got so much to work on. There's so much to look into and get in touch with. And therefore, I, 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 and my past conditioning. Who says it's true? Who makes this claim? How on earth did this claim take on such authority amongst us? Sometimes we go into the bookshops whole variety of uh, bookshops which are available. One looks on the, the bookshelves. Psychology, spirituality, green issues too these days. We even have sections for those. It won't last, but at the moment. And one goes into the bookshops. And there's a whole variety of books. Even the most straight-laced orthodox bookshops have to have a fairly substantial psychology section fairly substantial Eastern religion section. And one of the things which I notice, and perhaps you do, that one of the constant threads which run through most of the books is, I am like this because of this, and if I do this, I can become like that. <laughs> <laughs> you put all those books together, you summarize it in one sentence, and that's the sentence. <laughs> I'm like this because of this. If I do that, I'll be like this. It's the up from Eden mentality, or it was down from Eden, let's get up from Eden mentality. But somewhere in it, one is taking on this, that it gives it a reality. So it's not surprisingly that one of the most popular questions which is asked on retreat, there has not been a day in 15 years of my teaching uh, Dharma, serving the Dharma, in which, it, as far as I can recall, in which at least one person, and one would be the exception, who has not started off a sentence in a question to me which says, how do I? How do I? How do you? How does one? And we have taken on board an idea, I am conditioned, I am like this. This situation is like this, which affects me. So how do I get out of this condition and get into a better condition?
thread of this is the curse of humanity. There's no end to this idea of up from Eden and improving myself, 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 myself. Surely, surely, in all of that way of relating to life, surely somewhere inside of us there's got to be at least a little whisper of doubt about it. At least a little something inside of oneself which says, somewhere, how long have I got to go on like this? How many more retreats? How many more therapists? How many more workshops? How many more classes? And how many more visits into the bookshop? <laughs> Where is the end of it all? Nobody seems to be talking about the end. All talking about getting it better. Surely there's, as the Buddha said so nicely, surely we're exhausted with this. <laughs> surely we, we're at the point in our life where we can say, no, no, not one more thing. <laughs> not something else. We were just reading in the car, we were just coming back on the staff, cooks, managers, uh, teachers. We, this evening it's kind of uh, traditional. And we went out before coming here to have a, a meal together and talk to things together. And one of the people showed us the uh, latest uh, edition of the yoga journal. And apparently there's a young um, um, person in there named um, Andrew Harvey who is uh, uh, seems to have been quite a bright young man at uh, Oxford University and he has met somebody named Mother Mira who at the moment is uh, in uh, Germany and he's written a book on spiritual searching or seeking or something of that order and in the interview with him in the yoga journal he makes the rem uh, remark there that the incredible impact that this, an Indian person, y young woman apparently, Mother Mira has had on him and his uh, ecstatic altered states of consciousness and bliss and something along the lines that millions will be affected by her. And how those kind of statements, and apparently she's in, in Germany and I commented to stand that I would imagine that sooner the travel agents here will be rubbing their hands in glee as the, the, the new ages shoot off. And, <laughs> and I hope, hopefully, this uh, young uh, person, this young woman, is uh, really aware of what is being said in her name. And that, I, I may say, uh, as a person who's a lifetime involvement in spirituality is 10 years in the East with various uh, teachers that such information being put out could be quite devastating. One has to have pretty strong uh, metal to constantly deal with the, the forces of uh, attentions, particularly in the spiritual world and, and I was quite concerned reading that article for her. Having said all that, easily, how easily it can be, there is the force of conditioning 
And then there is the new person on the block, the new kid on the block, as my daughter would say. And one thinks this person is going to blast away, nuke my conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the airline ticket. And how easily the view gets still reinforced, there is still the belief there, it's still being consolidated, and the view which accompanies it that someone, somewhere, is going to ride into town and clean up my act. <laughs> and this mythology, the heroic my uh, mythology, and, and it starts with the Buddhas and the Jesuses and many, many others and what human beings have destroyed spiritual life through this activity, this way of relating. Made a mockery of real spiritual teachings. It's a tragedy that it goes on. And very easily we imagine and we think that that's what's going to happen for us. It's going to be blasted away when it doesn't even have any existence in the first place. So sometimes it's, how could that be? How could it be that conditioning and self has no existence, has no substance, has no meaning, has no truth, has no reality? It's a, it's as the Buddha said, it's a, it's a, a mirage. It's a, a, a fiction of the mind. It's, it's a, a, a theatre. It's a, an event going on which has gathered some notions about it which are not there with it. Sometimes when we, to get back to the point for a moment, with the differences, the differences are crucial to this. Conditioning, the idea of the, and the notion of conditioning has a relationship to the perception of differences. The arising of the idea of conditioning arises simultaneously with the notion of differences. One can't talk about conditioning without talking about its influence and without its fixing the idea that there's some differences which we are making. When we make the differences, which what, what a conditioning appears to do, then we're in the state of, I want this, I don't want that, I like this, I don't like that. And then we say, my conditioning is forcing me to be like this, is making me to be like this. In order for me to hold to this, I have to be living in a self-absorbed way. I have to be isolating myself from fullness, from totality, and I have to actually believe in my isolation. As long as I believe in my isolation, therefore in my differences, then I have the problem of solving them, working them out, deconditioning myself, improving myself, because I'm living in a state of isolation, and I believe that's the nature of things. I believe in my individualism. I believe in my separateness, my uniqueness. 
once I have that, then I've got to do all this work to decondition myself, uncondition myself. But what if there's no interest in the beautiful, not, not apathy, not a state of indifference and dullness, but what if there's no interest in the notions of being conditioned? No interest in up from Eden. No interest in what happened in the past and what the present is in relationship to the past and what the present is in the relationship to the future which is where the conditioning can only play itself out what happens if, if there's just no interest in any of that not making the isolation to make the difference not making the separation to gain the individualism which is which is needed for conditioning to be approved of and to be subscribed to. One is tired of it, exhausted with it all. So then would it be possible for us in the, in the immediacy of things, in which there's a fullness, and that fullness is a self-forgetfulness. The fullness of things is so vast that there's a loss of, of self-absorption. There's, there's a genuine loss of concern. But all my fussing about myself and my evolution and all, all of that is really dividing or a kind of division of the fullness. Would I be willing to live out the life without any interest in conditioning. Without any interest in the notions and preoccupations of the past to the present. But the fullness of things takes care of everything. That would mean, wouldn't it, really, that our views have no truth. That our concern with conditioning has no meaning. That meaning doesn't lie, as it were, with conditioning. It doesn't lie with thinking. It doesn't lie in the way I 
refer to myself. That in a way, what is true, as it were, lies outside of all of that. There's this fullness. And this fullness has no measurement to it, no structure to it, no walls, no parameters, no birth, no death, no conditioning. Fullness can't be conditioned. Vastness can't be measured. It can't be improved upon. It can't be cultivated. It can't evolve. It can't go anywhere. It can't lead to anything. That's the errors of perceptions, of the mind which thinks that way, believes that way. So let the vastness be so present that we are, we rest in silence with it. That there's a certain awe and wonder and mystery that somehow quite easily emerges from the heart, which we can't explain. And that nothing belongs to me, nothing belongs to I, nothing belongs to myself in any way, but it all, the whole lot belongs to this vastness. I don't have anything to surrender, I don't have anything to give up, I don't have anything to renounce, I don't have anybody to follow, because I never had anything in the first place. It all belongs to some... Inexpressible, which is unconditioned. In which nothing could come before it to condition. In that respect, we might even say that silence is true religion. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings live in peace and harmony.
So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, please. 